The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Feel it coming in the air. Yeah. And there's screams from everywhere. Yeah. I'm addicted to the thrill. I'm ready. It's a dangerous Stop. love affair. Can't be scared when it goes down. Got a problem, tell me Stop. now. Only thing that's on my mind is who gonna run this town tonight. Welcome to Kwame Lashley Sports Talk. Kwame's out today. In the studio, we have Alex Clancy and Deborah Debris. Deborah, how are you? I'm great. We're holding down the fort. Yes, we are. Deborah Debris of YourClearEdge.com. Check it out. Great website. Very, very talented woman. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Clancy's Corner, not .org. I was going to say, if you mess this up. Just at Clancy's Corner. <laughs> Kwame's not here to mess it up. And at Deborah underscore Debris. Uh, Twitter is uh, uh, Deborah, D-E-B-O-R-A-H, underscore Dubree, D-U-B-R-E-E. Facebook is just Deborah Dubree. There you go. Beautiful. Right, we got a lot to talk about today. Uh, National Championship football game last night. Got some NFL playoffs. Might hit some NBA later on at the end of the show. But let's start with the National Championship game. Uh, you know, people didn't really know what to expect here. A lot of people picked Alabama. A lot of people picked LSU. A lot of people didn't want either, didn't want both of these teams to be playing each other in the championship. But that's a whole different conversation. Alabama wins twenty-one nothing. This was a total just domination by Alabama. You know, they came in. They had both teams had over forty days to prepare, but for some reason, LSU didn't show up. You know, their quarterback. Jordan Jefferson played as if it was his first college or football game on any level. Uh, threw for 53 yards on 11 completions with the interception. They rushed for 39 yards, 53 total yards uh, receiving. It's under 100 yards of total offense. So their defense really came to play. And Deborah, I was hoping that that one of the kickers would actually have would <laughs> actually have some problems, but. Uh, Shelly for Alabama did a great job. He did a great job. I mean, he had, was blocked at one point, but uh, that wasn't necessary. Well, I suppose it depends on how you look at it, whether it's his fault or not, or whether it was the better play of the other team. But Alabama, one of the things you know I look at is, yeah, they both had equal time to prepare for this, and yet Alabama actually did. I don't know that LSU did. Um, they maybe maybe they thought they were better because they had won before. I don't know. You know, one of the couple of the things that I really liked watching the game was from the Alabama side, is they came with surprises. Um, they had watched the films. They knew they had a game plan and they were working the game plan. They had a, a coach and a quarterback who had talked about um, be emotional and be yourself. Everything I preach, and I heard that, and I was like, yes, that's exactly what to <laughs> Two do. Two points for Deborah, and it showed. And it showed. Absolutely. And ninth national championship for Alabama, uh, breaking Notre Dame's old record of eight. Uh, you know, Trent Richardson, 96 yards rushing. He had a bulk of them, you know, a third of them were on that touchdown run to seal it at the end. But the real, the whole story of this was Alabama's defense. LSU didn't cross midfield until the fourth quarter. I mean, that's... That's scary. That, I mean, it is scary. Six three and outs. 
uh, 11 plays for negative yards. Now, I was actually uh, actually texting my boss during the game, and I was telling him, can you teach Jordan Jefferson what the option is? If you are further ahead, if you actually could potentially gain yards, you don't you don't shovel the ball back three yards to your running back who gets pushed out of bounds. That happened three or four times. And right. I, yeah, they I, made I so many it. unforced errors; it was incredible too. You now, know, the LSU did right, and and the uh, the fake field goal that mm-hmm. almost that almost didn't work, but it did. Uh, that was that was a huge momentum changer, and the momentum was already in Alabama's favor at that point. Mm-hmm. So. You know, I mean that that really that really paved the way for the rest of the game. My- well, I think Alabama walked in already had they already had won the game. In their mind, they had already won the game. Where I think LSU was just, yeah, well, whatever, we got this. Don't really even want to be here. Shouldn't be another matchup. You know, they were kind of in that state of um, not who cares, but anger, frustration, all those things that we've talked about in the past that take you out of the game, out of your ability to play well. And then when they started not playing well and they saw Alabama playing extremely well, it just starts to go downhill from there. Yeah, and I think the biggest problem with LSU's with LSU's game plan was sitting Jarrett Lee on the bench the whole game. Mm. Senior had been through the trenches before. He was the only real quarterback on this team. Jordan Jefferson, 6'6", 6'7", big guy. You know, the Jamarcus Russell Jr., poor man's Jamarcus Russell, who couldn't throw the ball. I saw him throw the ball in the dirt. He made Tim Tebow look like Tom Brady last night. (laughs) Let's just put it like that. Now, Jarrett Lee... Is he runs the offense differently? He runs the offense like a conventional offense. He throws the ball over seven yards. He 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 can manage the game better, which opens up the running game. But if you can't throw the ball, you won't be able to run the ball, especially against Alabama. So and, and Nick Saban on the on the opposite sideline is is intimidating enough. I mean, if you want to have you pick. These two coaches, if you want to go to a national championship game, you pick these two coaches as your top two in college football right now to lead you. But Nick Saban won his third, and, you know, they, they showed up. Yeah, he had a strategy in place, and like I say, they, they worked it. A couple other things that I saw was, you know, when I saw receivers coming off the sideline and coaches that were, you know, helmet to face with the guys just really talking them up. I mean, really getting in their face and telling them how great they were, what they'd just done that was so great, and really just keeping that energy pumped to the hilt. And not only for the player that they were talking to, also for the coach, obviously that helps to keep you in the game and keep you in that passion. But anybody and everybody else around them who's seen that happen, it's like, man, I want some of that. So let me go do what I can do so I can get that same type of treatment. Absolutely. There was nothing even close to that on the LSU side. Exactly. You just saw downtrodden faces and, yeah. and defeat. Yeah, heads down, bodies down. They're just, they, you know, they lost within themselves first, and then they took it out to the field and lost there too. Right, I mean, and this is where you realize that these are kids playing this game. You yeah. know, I mean, it's tough to be mentally strong all the time when you're losing. You're down 9 nothing in halftime, which is two scores. It's not like they can't come back from this. But then it was just problem after problem, mistake after mistake, three and out, three and out. Well, and part of it, if I'm a scout watching this kind of game and I see LSU, who's got some talent on the team, there's absolutely absolutely no doubt that they're a talented team. But I see players who are responding in this way. It's like I don't freaking want them anywhere close to the NFL because if they can't handle defeat or figure out a way to come back from defeat and at least look like they're back in the game again, I, I don't have time for them. There's too many other guys out there with enough heart and desire and talent. To choose from, absolutely, and they totally, they totally corralled uh, Tyron Matthew, the mm-hmm. uh, the up and coming Heisman Heisman candidate towards the end of the year. 
he didn't do anything. Yeah. He didn't do anything. Which yeah. is I mean, which was probably one of their one of their focal points in the, you know, two years they had to prepare for this. That we're, we need to corral him. He is always the X factor whenever he's on the field, defensively, punt returns, etc. You need to corral him if you're going to win. So now this begs the question: LSU, every ranked team they beat won their bowl game. You know, West Virginia, Arkansas. They and and then they'd already beaten Alabama. So maybe going into that mindset when they came in, they'd already beat them. So why do they have to beat them again to prove that they're better than them? You know, and the game was nine six. In Alabama, it was a disgusting game the first time they played. We, we touched on that after the game happened. But it begs the question, is this fair for LSU, having beaten all these teams that went on to win their bowl games, is it fair that just because they laid a duck in one game, that they lose the national championship? Yeah, I... Their pedigree them. Yeah, it's a tough question for me to answer. But at the same time, I look at, you know, when a team lays down... I mean, as an entire team, do they all, you know, from the opposite side of the spectrum, do they really deserve to be number one? You know, because you should go into every game, every single player in every single game is responsible for themselves and their position and playing it in a team atmosphere. And if every single one of these players lay down, including the coaches, why do they deserve to be number one? Well, Alabama and LSU ended with the same record mm-hmm. and the toughest section of the toughest conference in, in all of college football, I, I understand maybe if the game was like 17-13 or 13-10, there might be a question on a split championship. But I, I think you're right. I think that with what Alabama did to them last night, it just demoralized. I mean, it wasn't even... I can't believe that that was LSU that we saw right. the whole They year. didn't act like champions, so why should they be a champion, meaning LSU? Right. And it's tough to get up. It's tough to beat a, a, an incredible team twice, especially led by Nick Saban. Mm. You know, that mental toughness is, is, is his mainstay. Their first penalty of the game, I think it was uh, three and a half minutes, three, three minutes and 40 seconds left in the game, was an offsides on a punt that LSU, LSU was punting. Alabama went outside. It was still 4th and 12, so they had to punt anyways. He was fuming on the sidelines. He is perfectionist, and he needs he always makes sure that his teammates, his team is mentally tough. Right, which is where we go back to what we've talked in the past is you've got to be able to stand tough and also and be fair and demand from your players as much as you would demand from yourself, but at the same time turn around and praise the heck out of them when they're doing well. Specifically, exactly, praise them for what they've done well. And he does, he does both. Right, yeah. right. And, and not, not to take anything away from, from Alabama's offense, no turnovers, no penalties. Yeah, yeah they, played, they played a good, clean, hard, well-structured game full of talent. And that's, and that's LSU and football. Passion. That, put it on your defense. Yeah. To put it on your defense to cause turnovers, to cause three and outs, to cause negative yardage plays. Eleven. I can't believe that. Eleven negative yard plays. That is that's unfathomable to me. Yeah. But it's unacceptable. Know, yeah, it's unacceptable yeah. as well. So Les Miles definitely has some work to do. I don't know why they don't bring in bring in an Andrew Luck type quarterback there. Why do they need? Why can't Jarrett Lee lead a team to a championship? Why after the first half they were trading off all year? And when Jordan Jefferson was kicking people in the face at, at bars, Jarrett Lee was winning games. So I don't understand why you don't take a more conventional quarterback. You're down 9 nothing in halftime. Nothing is going right. Try something else. This is your last game of the year. Why do you have to have the pride as a coach to back up your initial decision and not bring him out? Well, and isn't that the ultimate question? You know, if you've got a season um, like you've had, if you've got talent like you have, why can't you bring them together 
and win a game. Give them one series. Give them three series. I mean, give, give yeah. them something. Some give of the NFL coaches are asking themselves that same question, like um, Ryan and some of the others. Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah. It's true. And, 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 and this is also another problem with, uh, with having a dual quarterback team. It's, it, 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 has, it, it leaves room for, for uh, volatility. I mean, it, it, you don't know what the right decision is in any given moment. So you usually go with your first one and hope that it changes. Jordan Jefferson, the reason why he was so touted was because he could run the ball too. He was a run-first quarterback because he's big, but nothing. But again, why don't you take that talent and develop it? If you know what you've got from day one, then you take that talented that talent and you develop it. Both of your quarterbacks, you develop them equally amongst uh, regarding the talent that they have. You stay natural with who they are and what they're capable of doing, and you develop it. So you can go to either one, and you have trust and faith in either one that they they're your go-to players. You certainly have your favorite, the one that's doing better. You certainly go to them first, but you should be developing that second and that third string at the same time. Sure, and I think that this also shows the weakness of some of these of some of these SEC teams like Alabama and and LSU when they're playing really good teams when they get down they're down two scores at halftime you're going to need to throw the ball at some point you can't come back from even 15 down they were still down two scores with a two point conversion you need to throw the ball down the field at some point Jordan Jefferson cannot Jarrett Lee can I, I don't I, I honestly cannot give one reason why Les Miles did what he did. Right. Maybe, and, and that's not taking away again from Alabama's supreme defense. Right. But because he, he couldn't breathe the whole game. But and and you know it's just I don't understand. Well, and at some point it. you make a decision and you stick with it and you've got to you know you've got to just pull the plug and go because otherwise you're an indecision which he may or may not have been in and at that point you've already lost. Now, uh, Clancy's corner is coming up after the break. I. We'll be speaking about does this championship game beg even more for a four-team playoff? Like, say LSU would have played Stanford, and then Alabama would have played Oklahoma State. At least there would be some sort of infusion of of college football and this smash-mouth, more or less NFL football being played in the SEC. Do you think that it'd be better... Or worse. Right, we're going to talk about that after the break. This is the Kwame Lasseter Sports Talk. Alex Clancy and Deborah Debris in studio. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. If you want to talk about the East Coast sports scene, particularly from the Southeast, make sure you tune in to the Jeff Owen Show every Tuesday. Yeah, we'll talk about some of the other teams and news that's out there, but host Jeff Owens and co-host Tasha Humphrey know the inside and out of the Georgia college sports world, and they were born there, raised there, and still live the scene. We'll talk about every sport imaginable. Tune in on Tuesday at 7 p.m. East Coast time, 4 p.m. in the West, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Kevin Lewis has been a student of the game his entire life, from Little League to the NFL. Tune in Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on Voice America Sports. Hustling with K. Lewis. It's not where you start, it's how you finish. The job of a professional athlete is never complete. 
In Life After the Game, host Lamar Campbell will take an inside look at how athletes are making the transition from the professional athletics world to the professional business world. You'll understand the goals, motivations, and personalities that drive these players off the field and in their post-professional career. Tune in to Life After the Game with Lamar Campbell every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Welcome back to Kwame Lasseter Sports Talk. Deborah Debris, Alex Clancy in the studio. And it's time for... Clancy's, Clancy's Corner. Corner. All right. Well, last night, as we talked about in the first segment, the national championship game between Alabama and LSU. To me, it looked more like a rugby match infused with a punt, pass, and kick competition than a football game. Granted, Alabama dominated, as we talked about before. LSU, 92 total yards of offense. Alabama had only one penalty. And Jordan Jefferson made it, it, made, made it look like that he was you know, playing his first time in any level of football. But is that enough to prove that Alabama is the best team in the country? Out of the two teams with the best BCS ranking, yeah, yeah, they, they proved to be the better team. So, does this mean that they're really the best team in the country? The Benjamin Chasing Suits, get it up, BCS, Benjamin Chasing <laughs> Suits, the guys that run the BCS, screwed the pooch once again. Why, why you ask, maybe. Here, how about this scenario? This year, there were many, many intriguing uh, storylines. Andrew Luck leading the Stanford Cardinals, ranked Stanford Cardinal, ranked number four. Justin Blackman led Oklahoma State, ranked number three, as, as I alluded to before. How incredible would it have been to have the number one team, LSU, play maybe the best quarterback in college football, uh, and Kwame's not here to say it's uh, RG3, to have number, and have number two, Alabama, play number three, Oklahoma State, in a 14 playoff. What really happened was two of those teams... Stanford, Oklahoma State, played in a glorified exhibition game, which really was just a moneymaker for their respective schools and the BCS as a whole. And the other two happened to play for the national championship. Many people share the sentiment that bowl games truly mean something more to money, more than money to schools. Uh, they think that winning big bowl games, you know, improve their preseason ranking for the next year, as well as upping their status for next year's recruiting class. Both of these things, you know, are undeniably true, but what about this year? What, what about these kids? Why always look to the future, which, it, it, which will increase your money flow for the BCS and for the respective schools? I believe that both of these reasons are cop-outs. Schools and coaches have to say these things in, in uh, post-game press conferences in order to keep a positive image for their school. You think Andrew Luck and Justin Blackman played college football with the hope to play an overhyped exhibition game to end their careers? Hell no. These broken down college these broke college students BCS, BCS once again are victims they're victims of the bogus cash cow system in place. That's another BCS. BCS That's three. I'm telling you. Bogus you're cash on a roll, dude. <laughs> I'll leave you with this. If I have to spend another year watching, reading, hearing about people saying what if this team played this team? Or what if there was a playoff system? I'm going to both implode and explode at the same time. I'm done. 
I'm done. I need a playoff or I won't watch college football anymore. So how are we going to get to a playoff? What are they going to do, the powers that be, in order to have the right system in place to get to a playoff? I like the idea of the playoff. I like what's going on in the NFL right now where you've got you know teams against teams that are high-ranking, winning teams getting to the best of the best. How does that happen in college? Well, Tier 1 will be, you take the top four teams, you give the top-ranking teams, uh, ranked number one and number two, mm-hmm. a home game. Okay. You call it the Rose Bowl. Do you give them a bye? Do you tell them no, the no, top no. two teams are in and let's take the next four and play with them and then see who gets to play the top two? See, the BCS wouldn't like that. That would be too complicated. I know. You take... That takes thinking. Right. <laughs> you take... <laughs> you take the plan. You, and, but that would make them more money. But if you only do two... That'll still leave a couple more BCS bowl BCS bowl games that, that are the exhibition games in play. So, say you take LSU and Stanford, you give them a home game at LSU, you call it the Orange Bowl. Then you give, then you have Alabama and Oklahoma State uh, at Alabama, you call it the Rose Bowl. And then every year it'll filter out. So all of all of the sponsors will get their dollars every fourth year or every third year. And then the national championship will be in a central location like it is now, which will alleviate fans from having to buy tickets in two different places. They will know exactly where they will need to be going and where they will end up if their team wins the first game. So if I'm hearing you right, we're not going to end up with 14,000 games over several weeks of, of teams that... that Kind of did pretty well. That are being the one named, six games. That are be, yeah. That are being named. The bowl games are being named. Things we haven't even heard of or bought in our entire lifetime. Down to something that might have more value to it. You know, it's a crazy, crazy theory. I know, dude. It's a crazy, you know? crazy theory. But I think I think they're moving more towards that way. So I really hope that uh, soon. It's going to happen. Okay. Enough. Well, we know something's going to happen. We just don't know what. So let's hope the powers that be uh, have some intelligence about football and that those are the powers that be that are making the decisions rather than the uh, paper pushers. Boom. Okay, let's move to something that actually means something. Let's talk about the NFL playoffs. This, this last weekend was, well, I mean, it was kind of polarized. You, know, you had two incredible games and you had two games that were kind of making you want more. Let's start with those two first. The Giants and the Falcons. I'd be scared if I were anybody but the New York Giants. <laughs> anybody that's in their path to the Super Bowl. Everybody's talking about, you know, th- this is kind of the same path that they took when they won the Super Bowl. They they lost to Green Bay earlier, and now they're going to play them now. Playing in Lambeau against Aaron Rodgers, although he's had two weeks off, Week 17 and the bye, which which could prove to be give him a little rust, but uh, he's a machine, so I don't really think it's going to matter that much. But the factor of the deep ball threat that is kind of coming up again. Everybody's had a deep ball threat; they've always been around. Blah 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 blah. But they have not been put into play as much as this year in recent history. Victor Cruz has five touchdown catches over 68 yards. 74, 68, 72, 99, 74. That is out of control. So even if he doesn't catch one pass against Green Bay, that secondary, which is questionable, it's it, it's questionable at, at best, they're going to be looking for him. And Eli Manning is playing the best football he's played in a long time. Now, the Giants just annihilated the Falcons two points. Falcons put up two points, and their offense just didn't show up. Um, it's... It, 
Atlanta hasn't done much in in playoffs in uh, recent history. Anyways, uh, they went for four. They went fourth and fourth and inches twice. QB sneaks both times didn't work. I mean, that coach they should have kicked the field goal once and either kicked the field goal or punted the second time, and it could have been a completely different game. But once you go for it on fourth and inches and don't get it in a playoff game. You lose all momentum you possibly had, and I'm sure the emotional aspect comes in. Oh, it's huge. As, especially with the defense. Oh, they don't trust us? Mm-hmm. Well, so they have to go for it? They have to score touchdowns to win? Well, that's the thing. Here we go back to, you know, we get to this point of the season. It's really throughout the entire season, but even more so now. This is when the men show up and the boys go home. You know, we've got men stepping up that are pl- going to start playing even more so outside of their limitations. Uh, and they're the ones that are going to win. You know, if they've got the emotional and mental stability within themselves, which leads to within the team, and they've got coaches that know how to coach that, you know, they've got nothing, there's no other option other than to win, period. Right. Yeah. And they're going to play, play by play, moment to moment. Whatever happens, they'll adjust accordingly and go to the next one. They've got a plan A, B, and C. They're going to work A to the limit, but if A's not working, they'll go to plan B and they'll work it, and they're going to know exactly what to do. Right. And, I mean, playing against uh, a Manning, regardless of if it's Peyton or Eli, Eli has as many Super Bowls as Peyton does. And Eli has is probably, even though he's put up numbers and he's he's getting more recognition now, he still might be the most underrated quarterback in the NFL. Well, and he's been maturing all along and a little bit under the radar. So uh, that's been good for him to get to this level and to uh, to really step up and step out as to who he really is. Absolutely. And then we have uh, Houston Texans beat beat the <laughs> Bengals. You know, I feel bad for Andy Dalton. He played flawlessly the last few games of the season. Uh, he didn't throw an interception in, uh, I think it was like 170 some odd uh, pass attempts. And then he throws that pick six to the defensive mm-hmm. lineman, and that was pretty much all she wrote in Houston. You know, uh, him and AJ Green, they're not, it's not time yet. It's not time yet. They, in the next couple of years, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with, especially if C- uh, Cedric Benson stays healthy. They have, they have kind of a run by a committee in Cincinnati. They're a smash-mouth defense team, defensive team. They'll be fine. I'm just happy that they made the playoffs. Yeah, they, 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 look, been, they look good, actually. I mean, they had some good plays, and you know, I was, it was a good game to watch. I enjoyed watching it. It was sad to see him lose, but oh well. Yeah, I that's, mean, and, that's the game of football. Yeah, right, and I, I'm happy for TJ Yates. You know, his rookie, that's another rookie. This right. is... Let's see, you're the rookies. Yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. nuts. And some better than others. <laughs> <laughs> and they have they have uh, Baltimore coming up in Baltimore. It's going to be, you know, uh, Baltimore beat them 24-14 the first matchup. And I, I found an interesting uh, statistic. In, in the Ravens' wins this year, rushing. Let's talk about rushing because the Ravens are a defensive team. Rushing yards and wins, they rush for 146 rushing yards per game. In their losses, they rush for 60. Houston rushed for 170 yards per game in wins and 124 in losses. This is interesting because Ben Tate, who is the backup to Arian Foster, had a 1,000-yard rushing season. So it's not like you have one stud running back. Ben Tate would start anywhere else, or more or less anywhere else. And Arian Foster staying healthy is probably the best running back in the NFL. So if they can stop the run, they will beat Houston. But if Houston can run the ball all over them, we might see we might see an upset here. Well, that's the thing. I mean, there's such big discussions right now as to who wins the ball games. With some of the new rules and stuff that have come in, does the offense win the game or does the defense win the game? And I think it depends on who you're playing. You know, cause sure. it, you know, it really is a, a, a mix. They both got to step up, and the defense has got to get the ball back to the offense by either stripping it or you know taking the other team to a kick. 
you know, who knows, you know, but the same, the reality is everybody's got to step up and play their position. Yeah, and I'm sure that, I'm sure that Baltimore, Baltimore camp is going to be stop the run, stop the run, stop the run. Make make the rookie, and then just throw Ray Lewis and Terrell Suggs at him, get him scared, and they mm. should be able to walk out with a victory. Yeah, mix it up so nobody knows what they're doing except them. But, you know? I mean, you have one of the best uh, receivers in the NFL, Andre Johnson, uh, two very, very capable tight ends, Owen Daniels and Joel Dreesen. And, you know, I mean, it'll be an interesting game. I mean, the two totally different... Uh, Houston's defense is underrated as well. Um, so that'll be interesting. Now, let's move to... Uh, America's Sweethearts, New Orleans Saints, and the Detroit Lions. This, although the Saints won, they were favored, this might have been the surprise. They beat them by 17. Uh, this game wasn't really close. You know, I mean, it, it was for the first half, and then Drew Brees said, okay, i got to turn it on now. Yeah, I'm all done playing around. Let's 466, go. three touchdowns, which, which, which overshadowed Calvin Johnson's uh, 211 yards and two touchdowns. Mm-hmm. I mean, and again, the Lions, are, they're not ready yet. No, but they're, the looking time, they're, looking, they're looking good. They're looking really good. They're looking great. Yeah. Absolutely. They need... Javid Best has been out. Their, start, their starting running back has been out, who is a double threat receiving and rushing, which has been tough for them. Kevin Smith has stepped up, but he's an ancient warrior. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's tough for him to, to, get, to get a lot of carries, get a lot of touches, and stay healthy. Now, New Orleans, um, that, that's going to be a really tough game for them next week as well. Going into San Francisco, offense versus defense. Defense usually wins, but New Orleans offenses. It's incredible. It, yeah. it, it, and, it's an art form. A, it's like watching. It's like watching a ballet. Exactly. <laughs> Not exactly. that I have, but and and what, 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 what I thought it would look like. <laughs> well, you should, because some of these guys actually look like you know they should be in a ballet, as you said. And uh, you know, they've they've gone to yoga now in the, in, uh, in the NFL because they know the benefits of it. So sure. good for sure. them. Uh, but we're a little off topic now. Oh, uh, <laughs> not the first time. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's going to be a great game. It's going to be an interesting game. I still think New Orleans takes it. Mm, but I'm not 100% bought into that. Anything can happen nowadays. Right, because they're not in the Dome, which which they're accustomed to being in and wrecking house in. Uh, they're going to San Francisco. They're favored in San Francisco. I'm not. Mm. I'm not. A, I'm not a spread guy, really. Right. I, I don't really. I don't really follow that stuff with Vegas. But I know they're. I know they're favored in, in as a visitor right. in a playoff game. And but they're I, seasoned. They're uh, sure, seasoned. They, sure. They've been there. They've done that. They they know what it takes, and they've got the right mix of again the mental and emotional aspect of it that they can pull it around, even if they are going into the halftime losing, they can pull it around and make it happen. Sure. And San Francisco is known for stopping the run. Luckily for New Orleans, they don't have to run the ball. He could throw, the, Drew Brees can throw the ball 60 times, 15 of those maybe being little dump-offs. Instead of runs, little swing passes, right. little slants, little screens. They love the screens with Darren Sproles, mm-hmm. Pierre Thomas, Christopher Ivory, and I mean, Mark Ingram when he was healthy. But. Right. Plus he knows those little screens. They can, they can move into anything. I mean, they can move the ball downfield pretty quickly. Absolutely. Now, the moment you've been waiting for will be after the break. We're going to talk about Tim Tebow uh. and then move into Down and Dirty with Deborah. So you've been, you're listening to the Kwame Lasseter Sports Talk. We'll be back in about, I don't know, Mark, you tell me, 75 seconds. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. 
Lockdown Coverage. Get ready to talk sports with the big guys. Tune in to Lockdown Coverage with Keith Lewis every Tuesday for the inside and outside of the business of sports. Keith and his guests will provide expert commentary and answer all of your burning questions about your favorite team, the players, and what's next. It's time to have fun with the game. Listen for Lockdown Coverage with Keith Lewis and his favorite co-hosts every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The talk doesn't get any hotter. Listen to Sports Talk at the Positive Pub every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Gil Tyree talks to sports newsmakers, playmakers, and story breakers. You, the hardcore, interactive, and novice fan, can join the show via your phone calls and emails. Sample what's good, right, and positive about the world of sports every week. Begin your week in a positive way with Sports Talk from the Positive Pub. Be here every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Welcome back to Kwame Lasseter Sports Talk. Alex Clancy, Deborah Debris in studio, Deborah Debris of yourclearedge.com. Check us out on Facebook and at Clancy's Corner on Twitter as well. It's Tebow time. T-ball. It's Tebow-rific time. Um, well, unless you were under a rock all weekend, you couldn't help but have seen the magic in Denver. Broncos 29-23 over the Steelers in overtime. The first NFL overtime game with the new rules in, in the playoffs with the new rules. Didn't matter because uh, they were kind of superseded. The new rules state that both teams get a possession unless there's a defensive touchdown or if the team that wins the toss scores a touchdown on the first possession mm. on their first possession and that happened that happened and uh, it happened quick yeah 80-yard <laughs> touchdown pass Demarius Thomas from Tim Tebow Demarius Thomas didn't get as much credit as he deserved on that mm. it was more touchdown Tebow than touchdown team um, yeah, and he, I mean, Tebow threw a nice, you know, 15-yard dart, and Demarius Thomas did the rest. Threw down Ike Taylor, like, yeah, I mean, threw down Ike Taylor with a stiff arm that like was, he was something nasty, yeah. and, and ran it in for a touchdown, 204 yards uh, receiving with a touchdown for Demarius Thomas, which helped Tim Tebow a lot. Tim Tebow, 10 for 21, 316 yards, two touchdowns, 50 yards rushing, one touchdown, I got a little got a little fun fact for you. I was looking on Twitter and I saw Tebow's favorite uh, uh, Bible John three three point sixteen three sixteen, mm-hmm. and that's how many yards he had receiving. Exactly, how many yards yeah, he had exactly. passing. And so it was Twitter. I forgot how many millions of times that the verses that he uses are twi- are, are not tweeted, but um, looked up, googled. Oh, really? Yeah, it's amazing. He's so. um he's and the funny thing is he doesn't throw. Uh, religion in anybody's face, and no, not at all. <laughs> and players that are on the team that say, you know, I mean, he, you know, Tebow is God-like uh, <laughs> nowadays. You know, around the town, and uh, players say, you know, they're in the, a bar or some or someplace, a restaurant or whatever with with their people. Tebow walks in, their people walk over to Tebow. <laughs> That's <laughs> he, hysterical. He said he even brings people to tears just because they're so caught up in him. You gotta be kidding me. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, Pittsburgh, you know, it was a hobbled Pittsburgh team. 
uh, Ben Roethlisberger shouldn't even he should be in a wheelchair right now rehabbing on on on, uh, on crutches. Uh, Rashard Mendenhall, they're starting running back out for the year. You know th- this was definitely a crippled um, Steelers team getting older, but. I think the biggest problem with them that whole game was Troy Polamalu had his worst game ever. He watched the tape for Denver, and they spun it on him. Ooh. I saw I saw numerous accounts where he was he was out of place and 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 he got burned for it. They put ten in the box, first play of overtime because Denver's a running team. Play action, burned him, burned him, burned him. And I'm really happy. I'm really happy that they. That they they weren't who they thought they were. I guess you could say uh, to to uh, tag Denny Green there. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited for them to go into Foxborough. If there's one team that Tim Tebow could score a lot of points against, it would be New England. I think because their secondary is suspect at best. At best, at best. He threw 10 passes for 316 yards, 31.6 yards per completion, which is third all-time for any regular season or postseason game. And if he can throw the ball like he did, and which will open up the running game, who the hell knows? Who knows anymore? Well, he's learned something new that he didn't know before. Before, he trusted his legs more than he trusted his arm. Now he's learning to trust his arm. Right. And we're seeing the results of that. And John Elway yeah. said, just fling it. And he's just flinging it. So yeah. let's let this is gonna be a nice little segue into Down and Dirty with Deborah. Get it out. Yeah, Down and Dirty with Deborah. We're gonna talk about faith and doubt. How do you keep one, which is faith, and not buy into the other, which is doubt? Because during the course of the game and over a season, we constantly flip flop. And when I mean, fl- you know, we, I'm talking about players, coaches, owners, the media, the fans. We're flip flopping back and forth. As to, you know, do we trust, believe in our team, our players, ourselves, or are we in doubt? So the question is, well, why should we care? Why should we care about either one? Well, if we look at doubt, doubt is actually the result of fear. When we're afraid of something, doubt starts to creep in. And when doubt creeps in, then passes gets, you know, passes are off the mark. We've got balls that get dropped, kicks that gets missed. So fear is the core. Fear is the root of doubt, and the results are poor performance. And the results of poor performance, of course, is a loss. That's what we need to learn to control is our fear so we don't move into doubt. Now, when we look at faith, we look at the opposite side of that. Faith is trust. Faith is trust in something or someone beyond ourselves. We've heard the term blind faith. Well, guess what? Faith, you know, faith is not only blind, it's deaf, it's untouchable. We can't taste it. We can't smell it. But we can experience it. We can experience the results of it. With faith, players perform above and beyond what's reasonable and possible. You know, consider Drew Brees, that he's out there breaking records because he trusts himself. He has faith in something beyond himself. Larry Fitzgerald snatches uncatchable balls out of the air where they're, they're just, you know, nowhere that anybody else could even pull them in. You get a Clayus Campbell or a Marcus Spears, guys that are 300-ish pounds, leaping into the air, knocking balls down from either passes or kicks. Or you get a team T, uh, Tim Tebow who's unconventional. His style is unconventional. There's no way people were playing he should be a quarterback. You know, it just can't be done. So we are constantly looking at how do we have more faith and less fear? Because they really are a teeter-totter. If you were to 
think about and just picture a little boy, two little boys on a teeter-totter, one on one side, one on the other, and they both got little t-shirts on, and one of them has got the big words fear on it, the other one faith. Well, that teeter-totter, just like boys are, they never want to keep things even. Somebody's always going to be on top. That teeter-totter is going back and forth all the time. Sometimes there's greater fear, sometimes there's greater faith. And as fans or players, we go back and forth, like I said, on a game or in a season where we're going from, oh, my God, oh, my God, this is so freaking awesome, we're going to win this thing, to, ah, crap, there ain't no way this is ever going to happen. You know, we just lost it, period. So we simply, if we look at the fact that we're always going back and forth, it's a natural thing that we go back and forth between fear and faith. But if we know that the results of faith are so much better you know, faith in ourselves, faith, faith in our players. If we know that faith is so much better, then we just need to get stronger at it. I look at, it's a combination of, of having faith in what I call the five S's. The five S's to greater success, which are strength, skills, smarts, self-identity, and spiritual belief. And constantly building those stronger and stronger. Too many times we reverse the formula and we think that we need to first take action in order to get results and then we'll have faith. Well, the reality is we've got to have faith first. You have faith so you can trust the action and then you get the end results that are just, you know, outstanding in results. When a quarterback throws a ball, he's thrown it to a spot. He's got to have faith that his guy's going to get there. Otherwise, he will never be able to release the ball. So the bottom line to this is, in order to have faith, you look at the past. At what have you done that's been great in the past? And look at every aspect. Look at the strengths that you've had, the skills you've had, how smart you are, your own self-identity and your spiritual beliefs, and you pull all of that in. And then you look into the future and you say, well, if all of that was possible then... You know, what's possible in the future if I pull all this together and you bring all of that back into action right here, right now, which is what I'm seeing in some of these players, including a Tim Tebow, but also so many other players that are out there that, ex- that are excelling beyond what's reasonable and possible, not only in the game of football, in business, and in our own homes. Um, so fear and faith, fear and faith, you got to have more faith. you got to build it and take those five aspects and build them strong. Now, I have a question. Um, can external faith, i.e. from coaches, teammates, whatnot, supersede personal fear? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, can, can, the, can, the, can the innate faith of a team in you, like, say, the Alabama kicker, for example, or say Tim Tebow, where they say him practicing in, in, in practice, and he's he's so intense and, and wants to be wants to try so hard uh, to succeed for his team. Can one supersede the other? Or is it is it always faith personal is, fear that supersedes faith if it's not innate? Faith and fear is internal. Now, faith and fer, uh, faith and fear can both be um, exacerbated by external. So if somebody's screaming in my face, my face about something, I can go into fear, which allows my faith to go down and my fear to go up. But I'm in control of that, not the person yelling at me. Fair yeah. enough. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, it, you know, it's it's definitely it's interesting with with all the storylines this year about, as I say, the Alabama kicker and right. and Tim Tebow and and you know even even Drew Brees who just. It's so effortless. After losing to Seattle last year, they could they could have dropped off the face of the earth, even with all the talent they had, like the San Diego Chargers. They could have just had this this wall put up 
of I can't believe we lost this game. I can't believe blah right. blah. We never should have. We never should have lost. And then they come back better well, than a, ever. But that's the thing. That's that balancing act. That you know, do we go through those feelings? Any one of us? Absolutely, we do. There's nobody that I know, unless you get to the point you can go onto a mountaintop, sit and hum, and have things show up in front of you. <laughs> you know, when you get to that point, you call me and let me know because I want to hang with you more. Yeah, dude. really. Uh, but up until that point. You know, we go through this balancing act all the time, but we've got to be aware of when it's happening. When we're aware of when it's happening, then we can adjust it. And we constantly are building those five aspects of us stronger and stronger and stronger so that if fear, when fear, because it is, when it shows up, it just shows up in a in a flash. And then we go, oh, man, okay, you're back. Screw you. Here's what I'm going to do. And you go back into that faith again. <sighs> That's some deep stuff there, Deborah it Debris. It is some deep stuff. That's some deep <laughs> stuff, Deborah Debris. Yeah, you know, I've, I mean, I'm sure everybody's experienced both, not just in sports. In life. Yeah, it's, um. Which is, again, why I work with the whole athlete, because what's happening off the field affects what's going on on the field. And some of these guys can will themselves in a game to get through something. The problem starts to become is when they go home. And they're le- or back to their hotel room with some of them, or they're on the team bus, and then it starts acting up. You know, then they go into the fear. I mean, it's it, and overcoming it is is what makes people superstars, right? I mean, absolutely. Because I mean, even if you are a superstar, at some point you're going to get the fear to come in. Absolutely. Fear, no matter what. Absolutely. It, it could be one play. Right. It could be one play and just flip it on its head. That's right. Because, again, we're built with a automatic mechanism within us for survival. Mm-hmm. So when something happens that threatens our own survival, and whether that survival is our respect or, you know, our family, our income, you know, anything around that, you know, we're going to go, <gasps> but then the, the response to that is, so now what am I going to do about it? Yikes. You know, instead of going, oh, my God, here we go again, you know, <laughs> and you start, you start down the tube. Yeah. yeah, we're going to need so, to talk about that off air. I, I definitely want to pick your brain more about that. It's a choice. Uh, we got to take a break. We'll be back in about 75 seconds. Call me last for Sports Talk. Alex Clancy, Deborah Debris in studio. internet flagship station for sports voice america sports sports and medicine go hand in hand quite simply if you aren't up to your game health wise you won't be up to your game on the field that's where bruce the sports doc comes in dr bruce grossinger uses his medical training and experience to bring you a link between sports and medicine from the latest advances and treatments to discussion behind the injuries of the week Bruce, the sports doc, and his team of guest experts are here each week to lay it on the line in terms that you can understand. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Play ball! If you're looking to talk baseball, even in the offseason, look no further than the King's Corner Talking Baseball with former World Series champion Jim Lairitz. Jim's known for a rather controversial stance during his show. He's brutally honest and ready to talk with current and former players, owners, and other key figures to bring you baseball from an insider's view. You won't want to miss a single episode. The King's Corner Talking Baseball with Jim Lairitz is heard every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. 
Welcome back to Call Me Last of a Sports Talk. The real sexy voice is on the air today. Ooh, uh, thanks, dude. <laughs> uh, Alex Clancy, <laughs> Deborah Debris in studio. It's our last segment. I kind of want to talk about what's going to happen now that Indianapolis got the number one pick. They're going to take Andrew Luck. It's already been, sources have already said that that's going to happen. Uh-oh. What do you do? I mean, here's the thing. So you have, you can have a Brett Favre situation when Aaron Rodgers got drafted, but Aaron Rodgers was not the first pick overall. He's not guaranteed a huge signing bonus. Granted, not as big as uh, years years past, but Peyton Manning is due, I believe it's March 8th, $28 million signing bonus. $28 million. That's a lot of cash. I don't care who you are. That's a lot of cash. <laughs> so... If you're Indianapolis, this guy puts your franchise back on the map the last, uh, you know, 12, 13 years. What do you do? Do you say goodbye? Or do you bite it because he won you a Super Bowl? And because he's won you so many games starting 12-0, you know, three out of four years. What do you do? Well, I think if I'm looking at it both from a Peyton Manning standpoint and the Colts, it's a business, and they've got to really look at it as a business. And Peyton Manning knows that. He understands that. He may not understand it emotionally, but intellectually he understands it. And if he can't play, you know, they've got to move on. You know, they really do. And somebody's got to flip a quarter and make a decision on this and move forward for both of their sakes. But who's to say that Andrew Luck won't turn into Ryan Leaf or won't turn into Danny Werfel or won't turn into these 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 high draft picks that just fail and then they're yeah, the right back to where they were before Peyton got before Peyton got there. Or what do you do if Peyton Manning stays there and he can't play ever or sometime in the future or when he does come back to play he's not the same player he was before because he's wondering at what point is he going to get hit again yeah. and it'll take him out. Yeah, period. On a stretcher. On a stretcher. Like he's not the next, and I think that. Yeah, that he's he's not walking anymore. I don't know why they gave him that huge contract before you know doing a physical or checking out checking out his next situation. They are throwing a lot of money into him. Without he might never play another down again. He, I mean, he may never. And doctors, but here's the thing: he wouldn't even talk about be talking about coming back if the doctor said no. Neck and knee, even knee, which is which is still drastic. Neck and knee are different. Neck could kill you. Well, you've got neck and nerves. Yeah, and so you could you could literally be a paraplegic the rest of your life right. if you get if you get sacked one more time. Right. Even Which is going to be playing out in the back of his head when he goes back into real practice, real training, actually getting hit. That's going to be in the back of his mind all the time. Right. So I mean, it's it's you're right. Business aspect. It's it's not looking like a great idea for them to keep him on, but. In hindsight, if maybe he played backup quarterback, he, I don't know, he probably never would. But maybe just say he plays backup quarterback, he can tutor Andrew Luck. Peyton Manning would be the perfect tutor because he wrote the book on calling plays at the line in recent history. He he, he would have to have a mind shift. And, sure. And he's had time. He's working through that himself as he's playing this whole thing out. He's deciding within himself what ifs. You know, what if I come back and play? What's that going to be like? He's got to go home, look at the wife and kids every night, and say, what if? 
you know, and he's got to look at what if. What if they get somebody in and they keep me to tutor the next guy? What if? Can I live with that within myself day after day after day? And he's going through that decision-making right now. He's had some time to think about it, which is a good thing. The reality is coming quick that he's going to have to make a decision, and it's going to be a very, very crucial decision for him. Right, but this isn't the first time this has kind of happened, you know. Joe Montana went to the Chiefs at the end of his career. Uh, Brett Favre went to every other team in the NFL (laughs) after Green Bay. Mm -hmm. Who knows? And every time that happened, it was was all copacetic. Everything was fine. You know, it was just, there were ruffles in the beginning, but again, you're right, it is a business. So... <laughs> One thing that I heard on the radio, which was really interesting, was him coming to the Cardinals. Because that means that the Cardinals could get out of the Kevin Cobb debacle, and you have John Skelton backing him up, and they have a stud wide receiver, and they have a solid running back. And if he could play two more years, which is probably all he'd be able to play anyways, maybe three with because he doesn't run the ball, but I, I, I wouldn't want to take the risk. I mean, it's just, it's a catch-22, because you have... It would be a very interesting contract to put together. Oh, yeah, and I'm happy that that I don't have to do it. (laughs) Uh, I I just, I hope that this doesn't turn out to be problematic for Andrew Luck, because he hasn't done anything wrong. Oh, absolutely All he's done is put up stellar numbers in college. Mm -hmm. He's been the number one pick for two years now, even though Cam Newton might have something to say about that after the year Mm -hmm. he had. But in that system, the most intricate system in the NFL... Andrew Luck has the IQ for it. He does it at Stanford. He controls his team, and he will have innate presence day one at training camp. And we hopefully, hope, we hope. well, I think yeah. I, it's just the way he car- he's a smart kid. He went to Stanford. You know, there's just there's smarts has nothing. Well, I shouldn't say it has nothing to do with. So you got to go back to those five S's. You know, you've got to have the smarts, but you've also got to have the self identity, which I believe he does. But you've got to put the whole package together and act on it. Sure. So a Cam Newton, yeah, and he's he's you know making it happen. Others, not so much. Yeah. And, and they were they were good enough to go through the first couple of rounds and get chosen too. That's true. That's true. So football's a crapshoot, dude. Yeah, and we'll see what, it, what how he scores on the Wonderlick test. I mean, it's you know, I mean, it, it, put it this way: this is going to be the new Tebow news after the after the Super Bowl is over. It's just going to be who are they going to pick? And they have until March eighth. Before that, 28 mil kicks in. And once that 28 mil kicks in, may as well keep him. I mean, because that's that's a signing bonus. Keep him for a year. See if he can play. If he wants to play and he's cleared to play, let him play. But the new thing now, the other side of that, the other side of that coin is that now the young quarterbacks are just getting to play. That's that's the new tutoring process. Mm. Is either sucking it up or, or or flourishing right away. Cam mm-hmm. Newton, Andy Dalton, Christian Ponder. After like the first four games, a uh, Blaine Gabbert, like all these guys. Yeah, get them out there, see what they can do, and either keep them or cut them. Right, and that's Ooh. and that's the best way for them to learn the offense is to just get thrown in with the Sharks. This is what you're gonna have to deal with. This is this is what you're gonna have to uh, work on. And the veteran quarterbacks is kind of they're kind of waning. You know, it's 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 definitely, you're right, it's definitely the year of the young quarterback. And I think for time to come with Robert Griffin coming out and the Oklahoma State quarterback coming out, and I'm sure uh, Case Keenum from Houston is, is going to get a high draft pick. 
Well, what's interesting, too, is now we're setting new precedents. We're looking at quarterbacks, and in the past, it's like, well, we've got to season them. We've got to, you know, it's got to take several years. We've got to do all this stuff. And now, because of what some of these quarterbacks are doing and some of the other players as well in different positions, it's like, wow, okay, so that was wrong thinking on our part. Mm-hmm. Maybe if we just mentor them, maybe if they have the right attitude and the right, you know, emotional and mental stability as well as the skills and everything else, maybe they're actually going to to be a good player holy man yeah holy man isn't that cool holy man you talking about tim tebow or what uh so i mean it also depends on the type of quarterback like robert griffin might need some tutelage you know he's he's a cam newton he's a cam newton um pretty close you know cam newton might be a little bit quicker but that's up for debate it, i'm excited i'm just excited for the draft i'm excited for all the storylines no lockout i'm excited for just Football, Kwame has said it time and time again, football is a year-round thing. Absolutely for, it is. For, I mean, from his aspect, for, you know, training and... Well, look at this this week. I'm headed down to Tucson to watch the uh, Casino del Sol um, All-Star Game. Then I'm turning around in a couple of weeks. I'm headed to um, Mobile, Alabama. Because oh, I'm yeah? going to go watch the Senior Bowl, and then from there I go to the Combine because I'm speaking at the Combine. You know, we're already into next season. Yeah. That's already there. I'm pumped. Yeah. I'm pumped. Well, Deborah, good show. It's been real, dude. Thanks for coming by. YourClearEdge.com, Deborah Debris, at Deborah, D-E-B-O-R-A-A, underscore Debris, D-U-B-R-E-E, on Twitter, Alex Clancy, at Clancy's Corner. Check Thanks us for, out. Yeah, check us out. Thanks for listening. This has been the Kwame Lasseter Sports Talk. Deborah Debris, Alex Clancy in studio. Kwame will be back next week. See ya. for tuning in this week. Come back next Tuesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network.